If you are a Broncos fan, my guest today needs no introduction. From catching Peyton Manning's last pass in Super Bowl 50, to being an unsigned free agent, running his football camp for young teens, writing a book, and coaching executives, Benny Fowler is constantly on the top of his game. And today he shares his playbook for success for all humans, especially those in the tech sector. Have a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. My guest today is Benny Fowler, an eight-year veteran of the NFL. He began his career as an undrafted free agent signed by the Denver Broncos in 2014 and spent four years with the Broncos and was a member of the Super Bowl 50 championship team in 2016. Benny played college football at Michigan State University, where he was a member of the 2014 Rose Bowl championship team, and he holds the Benny Fowler Youth Football Camp in his hometown of Detroit, Michigan, every year. He's an in-demand speaker as part of the NFL Speaker Bureau and the author of an amazing book, Silver Spoon, The Imperfect Guide to Success. He's also host of the Quiet Time Podcast. So, Benny, hey, it's great to have you. Good to talk to you again, and welcome to the show. Karen, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You have so much to share with us about character traits that apply directly to any audience of people who are trying to, you know, be their best. Certainly it applies to all the people who are working in big tech, which is really our main audience here. Things like, you know, perseverance, overcoming adversity, mindset, discipline, and goal setting, all of those things that we need to be like at the top of our game. So I'd love to talk to you about those a little bit. Is that yeah, okay? I, Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's right in my wheelhouse, and that that is what I love to talk about, and that's you know what life is really all about. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're going to be at the top, at the at the peak of your performance, you write about them in your book, which we'll talk about more later. All of these are character traits that you write about because they're part of your lived experience, right? So you're not just philosophically giving an opinion, but you absolutely live by these. And, and like you say, they're in your wheelhouse. So as an unsigned free agent, you have you have to have an approach, I would imagine, that keeps your mind in the game all season and during the off season at a very high level. So I'd love to explore that with you. Yeah, exactly. You know, being a free agent, an undrafted free agent in the NFL is like being an entrepreneur, starting your own business yep. <laughs> because you don't have any funding. There is no signing bonus. So you have to, you know, basically work from nothing and work your way up to the top. And that's kind of how I see it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm an entrepreneur and will be, you know, life after football. But it starts with discipline. But you know, before discipline, it starts with that overall vision of what do you really want out of this? If you're thinking about your business or you're thinking about your sports career, your family, your life, relationships, what's the ultimate vision for what you really want out of that? What do you ideally want it to look like if you had all the money in the world, all the time in the world? What do you want it to look like? And then working your way back from there. Because when you think about those things and you you list out all those things that you want, you start you'll start to see your values in terms of freedom, 
discipline, respect, honesty, truth. You know, those are just some of my values that I try to live within every single day. And that's what I first did when I first came into the NFL. I had to have a vision. What do I really want out of this situation? I chose to come to play for the Denver Broncos. And my ultimate vision was really to play with Peyton Manning. That's the vision that I wanted. How can I get the trust and play with Peyton Manning? And that led me into a process of, you know, studying every single day, putting in work after practice, understanding the playbook and learning all the positions. So I would say that it started with that ultimate vision. Before you get into the principles of discipline and goal setting and hard work and all that, what's the ultimate vision? And I think that's where it kind of started for me in my career. Yeah, that's so important. And I think it's really underrated, especially when people are working in a company, right? Entrepreneurs can kind of set their own vision, but it's important for everyone, right? To have that, this is what I want. This is the goal I had uh, or have. And even if it seems really out there, did it did it seem out there to you to have that goal of playing with Peyton Manning? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> really? But you have to have a starting place, you know, as an undrafted guy, of course, it seemed a little out there because they had drafted a receiver in the second round the year I, I, I joined the team. They had a veteran team. They had Demarius Thomas. They had Wes Welker. They had signed Emmanuel Sanders in free agency. They had Bubba Caldwell, who was a veteran. And then they had a guy who they drafted in the second round and then another preferred free agent that they paid a lot of money to who they knew who they knew were gonna, was going to make the team. So I was up against all the odds. But having the vision is what makes you focus on the process to get there. What is the process to get there instead of focusing all the, on all the things that were going around or on around the team or around me? So in an organization, what is your vision for this organization? If you're starting at a certain position, how do you work your way up? If I think about my dad working his way up through Ford, he started as a plant manager and that ultimately led to him being group vice president, one of the 25 vice presidents of Ford Motor Company. But it started with the vision. And his ultimate vision was probably to be the CEO of Ford. But, you know, he got to be the vice president. And that's that's a great you know, place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you focused then instead of of looking at all the guys that had been drafted who were, you know, kind of, if, if you want to call it your teammates, potential teammates, but also the competition, instead of focusing on oh my gosh, there's all of these potential barriers you looked at. What will it take to get there? Yeah, I looked at, yeah, what's it going to take to get there? Because ultimately, if you can impress Peyton, that means you're impressing the coaches, the general manager, everybody. And that's my goal. My goal was to to impress Peyton Manning. So I wasn't really focused on anybody else. He's not, the other receivers aren't throwing the ball. He is. Right. <laughs> right. You don't have to worry about impressing them. Yeah. So that's great. That gives you focus. That gives you some laser-like focus. How did you study for that? I mean, you said you studied and you kind of like got really prepared and you you knew all about it. What was, your, do you have a method or a process that you use for that? You know, I'm really good with pictures and putting concepts together in terms of understanding an NFL playbook. You know, I've, I've joined teams and learned their playbook in a week and a half, two weeks max. And, you know, it's, you know, upwards of 250 plays. But if you learn how to put the concepts together, understand you can do, I do a lot of process of elimination studying. You know, there are certain concepts, certain situations, certain formations that go together that are always going to be called a certain way and understand that. And that's how I group things together in my brain. But also Peyton had a, a method to his playbook where 
you know, a lot of the vertical concepts, you know, the vertical concepts, you know, everybody's going down the field, all started with J's. So that's a process of elimination. So if anything started with a J, you know, you're going vertical. Now, the question is, if you're running a comeback, are you running an in? So there's so many different things, but I like to group things together. That's the best way that I studied. And that's the best way I could group things together. There were certain families, there are certain families you can put plays and concepts in. So that's the way I learned. What would you say of all of those things? I mean, you talk about how you have to have the vision and those all those other things are necessary to get you there. Would you say that that vision is is one of the hardest things for executives, entrepreneurs that you work with to to really get nailed down? What do you find is hard for people? Yeah, I think it is the vision. I think when I when I talk about vision, you know, a lot of people think, okay, six months to a year. What do I want this to be in six months to a year? Now, I want I want to talk about what's, what do you want it to be in five to ten years? What's the ultimate vision? What's what is what does that vision look like? You know, because a lot of people set goals for the year, and they set goals that they know they can hit. They set the vision for the year. But what do you want it to be in ten years, twenty years? What do you want your legacy to be as a leader, as a, an entrepreneur, as somebody in this organization? What do you want people to say about you? Who do you want to be as a leader? What type of vision is that? And let's work with that. Yeah, I love that because uh, it's. I, I've heard it said multiple times that we tend to overestimate what we're going to get done in one year, but we really underestimate underestimate what we're going to get done in five or ten years. That long term, if we even think about it, like setting that audacious audacious goal. I I know I had a moment in my life. This was a great lesson for me, and it. And after I moved to Colorado a few years ago, it kind of happened in the moving process that I got to remember it because I had written down a list for myself in 1997. And there were things on that list. I just sort of took the, I just sort of took the, um, what do you call it, the ceiling off. <laughs> I the self-imposed limitations and limiting beliefs that we all have, right? I just sort of just chucked all those and I said, what do I want? And I wrote them down. These are the things that I want to be. These are the things I want to do. And wrote that down on a slip of paper and tucked it in a day timer. So I would always have it with me to look at. Well, over time, as I moved to my phone, I guess, for my, <laughs> for my calendar and everything, I sort of forgot about that piece of paper. And when I moved to Colorado, which was back in 2017, it dropped out of the daytimer as I was unpacking and packing. And I took a look at it and I was like, holy smokes, I've done every single one of the things on that list. And it was just such a great reminder that we have to have those big, you know, what, what are they called? Big, hairy, audacious goals. Whatever it is that we, what we really want and not be afraid to say it. Just getting ourselves to say it is part of getting ourselves to the goal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to say it. You have to write it down. You writing that down, putting it in your mind, puts it at the forefront of your mind. And it, and it tells your mind that uh, that's something that you want. And your mind will go out there and help you go out there and get it. Yeah, that is so true. I lo <laughs> I never thought about this actually in the context of sports because I'm I you know I was not a um, team sports player. That might show actually, but uh, <laughs> I um, I I always played individual sports. Um, so I never thought of it in the context of sports. So when I heard when I read your book, 
which is is called um, Silver Spoon, The Imperfect Guide to Success. It was, I was like going through it and, and like, holy smokes, the connection is so clear. Once it gets pointed out, you have to have this. I totally underestimated the level of uncertainty that players live with as they're, you know, waiting for the draft, waiting, waiting to get signed, whatever that might be. And then you have these games where every single new game is like high stakes, under pressure, very visible, like under scrutiny competition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's what makes the NFL, it's what makes professional sports so amazing is that, you know, everybody can watch you do your job and they can criticize you <laughs> right there in real time in terms of if you're doing well or not. And a lot of it's based on your livelihood too. You know, if you're not playing yeah. well, if you play a couple games super bad, especially if you're a guy in my position as an undrafted and you don't have any guaranteed money, you play one game bad or you show up late to a meeting. I mean, They'll cut you and send you on your way. They'll just, and all you get is a is a plane ticket home. There is no severance package. Yeah. So think about that for a moment, everybody. <laughs> it's um yeah, it's like um it's high pressure all of the time. It doesn't always turn out exactly you want the way you want. I mean, you talk about in your book a story from college, right? There was a a critical dropped pass in a high stakes game between Michigan State and Notre Dame. And I don't want to, I'm not doing this to like dwell on those moments where I I don't even want to call it a failure. It wasn't a failure. It was just part of the game and the way the game went and you, you dropped the pass or you missed the pass. And then you, you responded in a particular way that I think really contributed to your future success. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that was one of the defining moments in in, yeah. in my career because, you know, usually when something bad like that happens, especially playing against Notre Dame on ABC at home, I'm coming off my first 100-yard game. You know, things seem to be going in the right way. And like you said, I, I dropped that pass, and I, I got benched for that. And, you know, I could have easily let that snowball. You know, it was hard for me to go to practice. It was hard for me to get up and even go to class because, you know, people are – looking at you in a certain way, you know, because we lost that game and we had such high expectations. But, you know, the following week I scored the game winning touchdown against Indiana. And, you know, I could have easily gave up and said, you know what, football might not just be for me. But, you know, in the book, Be the Hero, it talks about the stories that we tell ourselves, the three types of stories that we tell, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell about others and the stories we tell about our situation. And I would love for the audience to ask themselves, what story are they telling themselves right now? And is it honoring who they really are? Because I know uh, we're winning a lot more than we're losing. Sometimes we just, as people, we just focus on the losses. And that that goes not for just people in sports, but just people in the world in general, in business and anything and everything. That's true. I mean, we, we're we wired to look at where's the pitfall? Where's the, you know, where's the saber-toothed tiger? That's what I call it. It's like, <laughs> what what's going to get me around the corner and we're wired to look for that. So every single time we do something that falls short, we tend to dwell on that more than we dwell on the successes, which is, I'm thinking, a huge mistake. It is. It is a huge mistake. But, you know, like you said, at the same time, I mean, that's just how we are wired as people from our ancestors. You know, 
we perceive things in our minds as threats, even though they might not be actual life or death. That's just kind of how our mind sees things. So I think the first thing we have to do is become self-aware. And how do you do that? You ask yourself, is this real? Is this a, is this a real threat right here? What am I really, what am I actually afraid of right here? And, and then going from there, something that I work with my clients on all the time in terms of really just stepping into who we are and owning ourselves and owning our situation. Yeah, I think that and there's something too about not overstating a case. Like don't overstate it. Don't overstate the negative, right? Like maybe grip the radical reality. I think that's a a healthy thing to do and then say what do I have to go do to go forward? Cuz you you went and dropped Okay, so there was that game with with Michigan State and Notre Dame and the next week you caught the winning pass. That's only in a week's time. What did you do that helped you get your mind in the game for that to get focused? Was that I have I have to believe that was that just didn't happen. Yeah, my I had a high school coach there. My high school assistant basketball coach was a mentor of mine and just a really good friend. He's yeah, he's more like a friend and somebody that you know we 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 talk about the mind and understanding the mind. He gave me a book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. It's one of the best books that I've ever read. I read it at the beginning of every year now. Just about a man who was on a journey. And he had all the cars, the clothes. He had the money. He was eating at the finest restaurants, one of the best lawyers. And he has a heart attack and there's nobody there for him. And this man has to go on a personal journey and discovery about what's really important to him. And then I had to do that for myself. You know, I wasn't playing like the player who just had the hundred yard game. I wasn't playing life to win. I was playing not to lose. I was playing not to make a mistake. And I had to really understand that. And that book helped me understand that and go on my own personal journey to become the my own champion, the champion of my own life. And a lot of people might be wondering, uh, you know, asking, how do you do that? Well, you own who you are, but you get present in the moment. But there are so many different stories out there that we can all relate to. But that book right there helped me to get centered and it taught me about mindfulness and meditation and just being in the present and also taught me about affirmations as well. There's a whole bunch in there. (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot. But those two things, mindfulness and meditation is what it really taught me and how to center myself and just be in the present moment. You said something in there that I, I would love to kind of dwell on for a minute, playing to win the game versus playing it safe and to not make a mistake. There's a a challenge in that, I think, for people who are working in the tech space, partly because it does get to us when there's kind of a punitive attitude or a punitive culture when you make a mistake. And like you could be benched, like we called it the penalty box, right? But you could pretty much be in the penalty box for months. And after a while, you kind of wonder, like, what does it take to get out of here? You might not get another pass, you know, thrown your way as an opportunity to to show what you can do. I, I'd love to explore a little bit more, like, what does that mean? I know you work with a lot of business people now. That's kind of your other line of business. What does that look like to be, to play, to win? Playing to win really looks like, well, in the business world, it looks like a, a calculated risk. But you know you have confidence within yourself. You know the answers that are within inside you, and you know what you really want. Now, now, obviously, there's some you know you have to weigh some risk, you know, in terms of where should you spend your money. But there are you know tools that I would take, you know, some of the business leaders that I work with through in terms of decisions. But 
you know, in terms of really stepping into who you are, who do you want to be? You, if you knew you couldn't fail, then what would you do? That's, right. that's the real answer. That's the situation. That's what people have to ask themselves. That's what I had to ask myself. If I knew I couldn't fail, what would I be doing? And I would be out there playing free. I would be out there playing and having fun. I would be out there talking trash. And that's what I had to get back to. That's who I was the whole time and up until I made, you know, I had the drop pass. So let's get back to that. Think about a time in your life where everything was going right. And, you know, things were just flowing. Who were you being then? Because that's still a part of you. And that's still exactly who you are. Yeah, that embodying it. I, I think there's a, that's part of what you're talking about with mindfulness and med- meditation too. That practice of that time where you really nailed it, like really nailed it, or a, a fu- envisioning a future where you're really nailing it. And you really have to bring that whole thing into your body, not just in your head, right? Not just a cognitive experience, but how does this feel? Like, what am I doing? Who's around me? What's it like to be with them? All of that kind of experience. And uh, I wish I had learned that when I was still working (laughs) full time in the big tech because I didn't have those tools available to me then. Although I have to say, before I was a technologist, I was a musician. And I naturally learned that as a performance musician because every single performance had to be totally on point, right? And you got one shot to do the whole thing right. And I used to I used to really get myself super psyched up for that. As I remember that experience and that practice, retooling it now, right, for the things that I want to get done today and for the goals that I have now. So, yeah, it's interesting and and i'm so appreciative that you you share that with us cuz it's i just can't even imagine i'm i'm never going to look at football the same way after you and i had that you know our original conversation and i i got to know you a little bit better and then i'm looking at football and going holy smokes every single one of these is a peak performance every single one of these games every is, one and every every practice too and every practice right Right, every practice. So even even when you're on the practice squad, it's a peak performance. You're not just like, you know, it's not a mental game of saying, "Hey, I'm doing practice squad now. I'm not sure I'm going to be on the, you know, playing on the team." But you're still got, getting yourself psyched up because this is who you really are. Practice squad might actually be even more stressful because you know in the NFL, a lot of people don't know this, but in the NFL, there's about 30 guys every Tuesday that every team will bring in to work out to try to make the team or, you know, replace somebody on the practice squad. You know, and I've been one of those guys because I've been cut before and I've gone to work out for other teams. And, you know, the team doesn't know that you're in there because usually Tuesday is, is the guy uh, the day off for the, the the team. And then they bring in, you know, 20, 30 guys to work out for the team to see if they can replace or get better. And, you know, that's just kind of how the NFL works. So, you know, being on the practice squad, just because you're practicing, it is still stressful. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no downtime in the NFL. Wow. No, that's that's really great to know. I think, you know, I, I have always been focused on, I guess, a lot of things relating to work. And while I appreciated games I and, and have always watched football, I never really – like embodied 
the football, you know, the football experience and what that would be like for the players. I am going to look at it always for the rest of my life in a new way. (laughs) So I'd love to talk a little bit, switch gears a little bit, because you do something that um, I mentioned in the intro that I think is super cool. Can you talk a little bit about your football camp and what you set up there and what that's about? Yeah, my football camp is something that, well, not this past year because of COVID, but something I put on every single year. And it's a free youth camp that I hold at my high school. We usually have about 150 to 200 kids out there, give them free backpacks, tell them about the importance of education. And then I have some teammates come out there from whatever teams I've played for, and we put them through drills. You know, people from Michigan State, the Broncos, the Giants. Wow. And we and we put them through drills, but I want kids to understand, I'm, you know, the fact that, you know, these are the drills that some of the drills that we do, but also just give them the experience of being around professional athletes. I think I, I got a chance when I was younger to, just to be around professional athletes and see how they interact and how they laugh and play. And as I look at my life and my career, you know, that's kind of what my life turned into. So you never just know what can click with a kid's unconscious, subconscious mind. And that's what I want to do. And I always love to give back. So we don't charge anything. Food is all taken care of. And, you know, we, we just like to go out there and have a good time. And it also brings my family and my friends together, people that I grew up with in my hometown. Do you have kids that come back year after year? Do they, is this a one-time thing or? No, kids who come back year after year. Kids who have who have been there for, you know, all four years. Man, have you had any of them go on to play sports afterwards or? They're still young. They're still young. So they're oh, still young. Yeah, some of What's them are not even in high school yet. Oh, so they're still wow. they're still working their way up. But no, they are they are all athletes, all competing. They're all doing well. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. I love that you do that. I think so often we get the idea that this is a very glamorous game, and or I mean, it's extraordinarily hard work. But then there's a certain amount of celebrity, you know, that goes all along with that, and. Uh, watch the players who turn around and give back to the communities. That makes such a gigantic difference. Yeah, that's what life is all about. Life is all about who who you're serving and serving other people. That's where we get the most satisfaction. I mean, we can, it could always be about me, 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 but you'll never be satisfied if you're not giving back and serving and helping other people impacting and inspire other people. So that's what I'm all about as well. I want people to get to know you a little bit better. You write about this in your book, you know, your your life and your upbringing. And it's not lost on me. The title of the book is called Silver Spoon. And I think you have kind of a life philosophy about that. Can you talk a little bit about the book and what prompted you to to write it and, and kind of share what the, you know, the key messages are that you want people who read this to take away? Yeah, I decided to write the book Probably in the year 2017, I think, 2017, 2018, I forgot which year it was, but I, I had just came off my best year in Denver, playing my best football, and I was getting ready to hit free agency, which you know I'm kind of in right now, and I had played my best ball, and I was hitting free agency, and the Chicago Bears came calling. They gave me the most money up front, and I signed with them. I'm now playing in the city that my mom is living in. My mom's just a hop, skipping and jump away from the stadium. So everything seems to be working and coming into a line with my career, starting as an undrafted guy. Now I'm playing in the city of Chicago. And, you know, I started off playing in training camp with some, you know, playing some of my good, some good ball. And then I started doing a lot of comparing. 
comparing my situation in, in Chicago to what I was going through in Denver. And I wasn't focused and I lost focus and I got cut at the end of training camp. And, you know, that brought on a lot of embarrassment. I was sad. It was, you know, angry. And then that uncertainty and doubt started to creep in because I had never been cut and I never had a, not had a job in the NFL. So it's just like, what's next? And for, I was at home for about four to five weeks and it was just like, all right, if the NFL doesn't come calling back, what am I going to do? So I decided to, it was like, I've always wanted to write a book. I want to write a book and speak on stage. I heard, you know, you can get, you know, make a great living speaking and being a motivational speaker. And I wanted to be a motivational speaker with my book and share not necessarily just my story, but the stories of the other people that have inspired me. And that led me to write Silver Spoon, The Imperfect Guide to Success. And I wanted to write that story also because my story is not like the typical athlete story that people hear on TV or that is written in books. It, you know, I don't have a story where I come from poverty and I've made it to this, you know, the typical athlete story that's always told, you know, from a, a horrible upbringing or they didn't have their parents in their life. I had both my parents in my life. I was very blessed to have my parents in my life, very blessed to go to the schools that I went to. But that doesn't mean I was given anything. I wasn't given a scholarship to Michigan State. I had to earn that. I wasn't given an opportunity in the NFL. I had to earn that. I had to earn everything. And I wanted people to understand, regardless of where you come from, circumstances, we all had the same 24 hours. But there is no perfect way to get wherever you want to go. If people ask me about getting to the pros, I can't say, hey, this is the, 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 the path you have to follow. There are certain principles that I do have and that my friends have had or my parents have had to be successful in my brother. And that comes from hard work, discipline, surrounding yourself with the right people, handling adversity, being able to handle success. And that's why I decided to write the book Silver Spoon, because, you know, Silver Spoon, everybody feels like, you know, when you're from the suburbs, which I am from, that you are, you know, everything's handed to you. Life's so easy for you. And that's not that's not the case at all. You know, so that's why I decided to call the book what I called it. And and that's what made me write it. It is a great book. I highly recommend it for anybody who's listening. Please get a copy. It has life vignettes in it, not just yours, but also uh, people in your life around you. And a very personal story. I think that it it illustrates how all of us actually can try to embody these values that you talk about and these attributes that you talk about in order to make our goals come true to make our the life we want. And while everybody comes from a different place, every single one of us, I believe this with all my heart, has the ability, if we will believe it, to overcome those obstacles and the adversity to make things happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we all have it within us. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever let somebody, For if you're listening to the show today, don't ever let somebody make you believe that you can't because that's just not the case. And, um, and I love what you're talking about here, Benny, because that's the messaging. That's the messaging that says, yeah, you can do this. It does take a lot of work. It takes a certain, it takes a mindset, but that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, you can make that happen. And, um, yeah, I remember like just my, my own situation. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up in poverty either, but I made some choices 
as a young adult that put me there. (laughs) (laughs) Not very, you know, I did not come into my young adulthood as a driven, motivated, believing in, you know, all the things that I could do and having a dream. I didn't have that for whatever reason. And I remember the day so vividly that I had $13 in my pocket to last me for two weeks. I could not buy groceries. And that experience of that lightning bolt moment that says, all right, girlfriend, it's time to get a dream. (laughs) Like, this is not the way you want to live the rest of your life. This is not the way you want to raise your children and turning that around. And so, yeah, I'm with you on this. I mean, I, that's, I guess why this is why I was so excited when we got a chance to talk to each other the first time and started talking about being on podcasts because we have a very similar philosophy. And it comes from, in your case, through football and in my case, through getting my technology degree so I could go to work in, in tech companies. So, yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. And think about how resourceful you are for you to have that situation and and look what you made out of it. I think that's just incredible. And I will tell you that I certainly underplayed that for a long time. And you know why? There was a certain degree of shame that I found myself in that situation. So I really didn't want to talk about it. And then I found that working that hard, like as hard as I worked, I I think, uh, I don't know if I told you this before, but When I was in grad school, I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old. I was going to grad school full-time to get a master's degree in computer science. I slept on the floor in my clothes every single night for two years (laughs) so that I would not fall asleep so much that I would, you know, get comfortable and fall asleep so that I'd miss my eight o'clock class. And to me, that was the way we described this at the beginning of the episode is like, what will it take to get it done. Whatever it takes to get it done, what will it take? And I will do that thing. I never told the story until 2017. I never, ever told the story. I never put it together in any form, but I certainly never told it publicly because to me, it was just about doing an extraordinary thing, but doing it in a very ordinary way, right? One day at a time, one commitment at a time, one goal at a time, and you keeping on putting one foot in front of the other and not stopping. And I didn't think that was particularly special. <laughs> Very special, even though it's, you know, it's not the most, uh, you know, complex thing, but it's the simple things are what get, get people places. And I think we all need to understand that. That is, I guess, the beauty of the story is that extraordinary things happen one ordinary day at a time. But that doesn't mean that you don't play full out, play to win, keep your eye on the prize, right? Never stop believing that you're going to make this happen. And every day get up and say, what is it going to take for me today to make this happen? Every day. You'll eventually get there. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I wanted to know if you had any particular people in your journey, in your path. I mean, Peyton Manning, obviously, being a big one, that's an influence, right? Mm -hmm. But people that gave you that lift or boost as you were going along, because I do believe that we can't do it alone. We have to have our allies and 
those people around us who help us? Yeah, I think my parents. I think my parents played a big role in terms of influencing me and just watching them, the way they went to work, how disciplined they were and who they were as people. And also my brother, who I dedicated the, the book to. I think, you know, he's my hero, even though he's I'm the oldest of four. I think, you know, he had three significant knee injuries, you know, before he even graduated high school and still made it to play at Central Michigan, go on to be a three-time captain, set the all-time assist record there and lead them to a MAC championship with all that adversity. And how could I ever give up on anything, you know, when I see and I'm growing up with a person who's going through all of that, especially a person who has a, the biggest dream of making it to the NBA and had the skill level to do so. So I think those are the biggest influences in my life. And those are the people who, you know, no matter what, I can always count on. I can always count on my family. So I think my family has influenced me the most. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, for me, my my ally was my big my big brother. I don't know what where I would be if it hadn't been for him. And um, I know he's done that for so many other people. He's just such an inspiration. But uh, it's it's amazing to be able to say that our family was that kind of support for us. And I know many other people have family by choice as opposed to family by birth. But we all have to find our find our group, right, to help us get through. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we can't do it alone. I know that. What's well, coming up for you? I know you've got you've got irons in the fire. I would call it for you know what your plans are for after the NFL, but we're still waiting. I, I'm looking forward to watching you play this year. Yeah, I still have a couple of years left of of playing in the NFL and living out my dream. But the last couple of off seasons, I have been coaching small business owners, entrepreneurs on working on their business instead of in their business and helping them in terms of leadership. I do a lot of leadership development work, a lot of the leadership competencies and things that need to be addressed in organizations are addressed, you know, the same way in the NFL and how are things being communicated, you know, from the top down, what are the goals? How are we measuring things day in and day out? How are we becoming more productive? And that's what I help a lot of entrepreneurs do a lot of CEOs do and it's something that I really enjoy doing that I love doing and I have a, a framework that I've worked with somebody on in terms of you know they have mentored me and they've been doing this work for about 15 years and they have a hundred percent growth rate and I use the same formula with with my clients and I see the same results so that is what I'm doing that's what I'm super excited about life after football and it's something that I'm very passionate about very cool. How can people get a hold of you if they want to get in touch with you about your your coaching services? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn, you know, to connect with me on LinkedIn at Benny Fowler and, you know, just message me, shoot me a message. I, I, I connect with everybody on LinkedIn. I think that's a it's a great business platform. And that's where I connect with people on LinkedIn. And that's where we just have casual conversation. And then we set up a Zoom call or a phone call and I get to know people even better. I'm all, I'm always about, you know, relationship capital and building relationships regardless of anything comes out of it. Right. I picked that up from you the very first time we met. <laughs> uh, that, that I'm so grateful that we had a chance to get to know each other and continue the conversation. Just to leave, uh, I guess, the last little note here. For anybody who isn't aware, the moment that you caught 
Peyton Manning's last pass in the Super Bowl. I would love to kind of like wrap this up on a high note. Can you describe that event? What was that like for you? It's a little under three minutes left to go. Super Bowl 50. We are on the two-yard line. We just scored. We're up 12. We have the option to obviously go for one by kicking a field goal or to go for two, and we put the game completely out of reach. So we decide to go for two. Peyton calls the play. Demarius and Emmanuel are you know, our two best receivers. They line up to the left, and there's three receivers to the right. I'm in the slot, which means I'm in the middle of those people. I feel like the entire stadium at this point can see my heart beating through my chest. That's how nervous I was at this point. I hadn't caught a pass in the game yet either. <laughs> so Peyton calls the play, but in the huddle, he had told me that he liked my matchup and that he was coming to me. It's actually on NFL films that he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming to you. And the ball is hiked. I make my move towards a defender. I act like I'm juking right and I break left and I see the ball in the air. It's as if an infant baby is being thrown toward me and I sure as hell better catch this thing. And the ball hits me right in the chest. I roll over. I catch it. I get up. I do my dance and I caught a pass in the Super Bowl. It's one of the most incredible moments of my life. But it's one of those moments where you feel like everything is just coming together. And it's a moment for me where possibilities the possibilities in my life became a reality. I caught a pass in the Super Bowl and it ended up being the final pass of, you know, Mr. Nationwide is on your side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peyton Manning last and the last pass of his career. Mm -hmm. Yes. How incredible. I love that uh, metaphor you use. This is a baby flying through the air and you had better catch it. Yeah. Better catch it. <laughs> and I'm sure your dance is on film somewhere. I'm going to have to go look that up. Yes, please do. If you, if you see it, shoot me a text. <laughs> <laughs> I, will. I absolutely will. Well, that is a, that is a feel, a feeling that as you describe it, I'm trying to feel it in my body, what that would be like, like incredible. And that's the feeling like that's the feeling we want to carry with us that says, this is what it's like when you have a goal and you hit your goal. This is what it's like. Cause your dream was to play with Peyton Manning, you did that and caught his last career pass in Super Bowl 50. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Yes, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Benny, thank you for being with me today and for recording the show. Do you have any final, like, just parting encouragement to a community of people who are Really, I mean, they're literally, if they could, if they could get down to a 60 hour week, I think they'd all feel amazing. They're really pressing hard day after day after day, not always seeing like that extraordinary moment where they are catching, you know, that pass in the final game. What word of encouragement would you leave with them? I would leave them with the biggest room in the world is room for improvement. And don't think they have to go at it all alone. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why I got into coaching. That's one of the, one of the reasons why there's consultants and people such as yourself out there to help it is, you know, reach out for that help so they can get to that 60 hour work week or that 50 or 40 hour work week. And, and they have more time for that, their family and fun and, you know, living life on their own terms. That's what life is all about. So, you know, the yeah. biggest room in the world is room for improvement. I love that. I've never heard that said before. That's brilliant. 
Thank you. Thank you for the time today. I look forward to seeing you again soon and got my fingers crossed. I can't wait to hear how things go after the draft. Hey, thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We're on a mission to help you make your tech life the best it can be. And a big part of that is helping you handle adversity like a boss. You can get more right now with our free gift for you over at beanally.today to download Flameproof, your anti-burnout guidebook. If you love our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and let others know. You can also get more insights from our weekly podcast digest on topics that are relevant to you, your allies, and your entire organization. So remember, you have the ability to create the tech life you love and to make a difference for our industry. See you next week. And in the meantime, be well and be an ally. Be an ally.